Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. What follows is the service from May 15th, 2022. <laughs> Thank you and God bless. Scripture reading is from Acts 11, 1 through 18. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being led down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or clean, unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was, I, who was to think that I could stand in God's way. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And will you bow with me? Father in heaven, thank you for this day that we could come together and worship you as a church family. Father, we ask that you please be with all the children at Acklin as they are finishing up their school year. And Father, we ask that you please be with everyone who will be traveling this summer for family vacations. Father, we just thank you for all your many blessings that you've given us, especially your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.
683. 
Uh, you have to come back in two weeks. But glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're thankful to have you. Uh, I got a picture uh, from JP this morning from the Temple Mount. So he is having a great time in Israel. And um, we're just thankful you're here this morning. You know, over these last couple weeks of the Easter season, we have spent some time looking at the subject of doubt. And that seems kind of strange, doesn't it? That we go from the high point of the church calendar uh, at Easter straight into a topic like this. But this is where the scripture leads us. I think the lectionary takes us there on purpose. And one of the truths of coming around to the same scriptures every three years is that it's really worth it for us to spend some time with these topics, even these hard topics. Maybe there's something about doubt that we need to struggle with from time to time. If you think back on our preaching over the last month since Easter, we've spent time with several stories following Jesus' resurrection. On the second Sunday of the Easter season, we found the disciples locked in a house, fearing the Jews, and Jesus appeared to them. He breathes on them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. And we, sitting in our chairs, we look forward to what we know is coming in a few weeks at Pentecost. We've got perspective that the disciples then didn't have. We know what's coming. Thomas wasn't there in the upper room, or in the, in the room uh, with them, and, and he's got some doubts. If you're like me, you've carried that lesson from Sunday school your entire life. You can think of the flannel graph. Um, I think of Rachel when I think of flannel graphs because she had a whole box of mama stuff. Um, but you think of him as, as doubting Thomas. He wants to see and touch the wounds on Jesus. And he gets his chance. A week later, he sees Jesus who tells him not to doubt but to believe. Two weeks ago, we looked at Peter, who Jesus appears to as they're out fishing. Jesus called them years before when he was fishing. And Peter has returned to fishing now. You've got to imagine, and we see it in the story, that he's overjoyed about uh, seeing Jesus again. But he's also confused and maybe a little bit ashamed. He denied Jesus after all. But I love this part of the story where he comes ashore and Jesus feeds them. Jesus feeds them even in his doubt. He's got breakfast over a fire and through some repeated questioning... Jesus admonishes Peter to feed his sheep, just as Jesus is literally feeding his sheep. Last week, Stina preached on the Jews questioning Jesus, wanting to trap him, and he tells them that all the evidence they need to believe is there before him, or there before them for them to see. They just need to look at the works that Jesus has done in his Father's name. But they don't believe because they are not his sheep. I think it's easy sometimes to look at these passages with our knowledge of what happens next. We skip over some of this stuff, and maybe we don't want to dismiss it, but maybe we don't necessarily give it the full consideration it deserves. We want to get to Pentecost. We want to get to what's next. And we don't dwell enough in this liminal space. In this way, I think we do ourselves a little bit of an injustice. If we don't spend time with these people closest to Jesus in their doubt and despair, we'll find ourselves ill-prepared when we face similar times of doubt. We come back to these scriptures in the lectionary time and time again because we are going to have times where we doubt. It's okay. We live in an age of deconstruction. It's like doubt is somehow the point. But that's depressing. Um, and we have talked about deconstruction and reconstruction a lot this year. Um, we don't want to stay in that time of deconstruction because if we stay there, it can mean a loss of our faith. And I think what I would like to say here is that we need some tools to find our way through doubt. I'm an American Christian. And if there's one thing we like in America, it's believing that we're somehow capable of finding our own way in the world and pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Um, and if we're not careful, we make ourselves the focus of the story. I'm not sure if this heresy has a name, but if there is a modern American heresy, this is it. We are not the point of the story. Look at these last few weeks. 
When we look at Thomas and we look at Peter, these were men who were closer to Jesus than anyone. And they couldn't find their way through the doubt on their own. It took Jesus coming to them and shepherding them through it. If Peter and Thomas can't find their own way, if the, Jews of Je- or if the Jews of Jesus' own day can't look at the miracles that Jesus was performing and believe, I think it's reasonable for us to assume that when we struggle with doubt, we're going to need some help to get through it. So as we come to today's passages, I want to suggest some things that will be helpful when we find ourselves in times of doubt and despair. First, I want to suggest that we take the focus off of ourselves. Second, I want to suggest that we surround ourselves with people who can believe with us and for us. Um, And third, I want us to consider and just use the tools that we do have, use the things that we know to help us with the things that we don't know or that we don't believe. This morning's gospel reading comes from the 17th chapter of John. And I think this is a good way to look at that first point of taking our focus off of ourselves making a conscious choice to switch our perspective. As we set this up, this is Jesus praying for his believers. Unlike these first couple of weeks or last couple of weeks after Easter, this passage is actually taken before the crucifixion. If you look forward in your Bible uh, to the next chapter, he will be arrested in the garden. So as Jesus is praying this prayer, as he's saying these things, he knows everything that's going to happen in the next 48 hours. And yet he prays with confidence. He prays knowing how this ends. And so this morning's gospel reading is taken from the 17th chapter of John. It's in your bulletin. If you would like to stand for the reading and read with me when we get to verse 26, which is bold, we read, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want you to know, or I'm sorry, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. Together now? I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Something we've spent a lot of time uh, here at Acklin uh, with in these last couple of years is the narrative arc of Scripture. We've tried to take the focus off of individual things that can trip us up and instead focus on the arc of Scripture. And this passage this morning is part of the reason for that. There are little details that we can overlook, but they're meaningful when we see them. Verse 24 is an example of that and worth pointing out because Jesus points out that God the Father, quote, loved me before the creation of the world. This takes us back to the very beginning of the book of John, a verse most of you can recite by heart. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What does this do for our confidence when we read this passage through what Jesus has said here in in chapter 17? Reading again, but putting the focus on Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made, 
Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. But Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is telling his disciples here that the game, if you will, is about to be over. That they're about to win. They don't know it yet, and it's not going to look like what they, the disciples, or anyone else expected, but Jesus is about to conquer death. And that light is going to shine in the darkness and will not overcome it. So if we look at ourselves today, we shouldn't take ourselves back to a time when the game is somehow still being played. Jesus has already won. As we look at the narrative arc of Scripture, we're much closer to the new heavens and new earth of Revelation 21 and 22 than we are to the fall in Genesis 3. We can take some solace in that. Second, I think we should surround ourselves with people who can lift us up in belief. Maybe even believe for us in times that we disbelieve. I want to look uh, this morning uh, briefly at the passage uh, that is taken from Acts today. It's not the one in the bulletin. It'll be the one in the bulletin in a couple weeks. Um, but this is the original lectionary reading uh, for this week, two weeks from now. Um, it comes from Acts 16. That's a lot. So keep up. Um, this is uh, Paul and Silas uh, getting thrown into prison. So to set this up, they're in Philippi. Um, uh, this is where Lydia is. One day, when we were on the way to the place for prayer, we met a slave woman. She had a spirit that enabled her to predict the future. She made a lot of money for her owners through fortune-telling. She began following Paul and us, shouting, These people are servants of the Most High God. They are proclaiming a way of salvation for you. She did this for many days. This annoyed Paul so much that he finally turned to the spirit and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave her. It left her at that very moment. Her owners realized that their hope for making money was gone. They grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the officials in the city center. When her owners appeared, the legal authorities said, These people are causing an uproar in our city. They're Jews who promote customs that we Romans can't accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attacks against Paul and Silas, so the authorities ordered that they be stripped of their clothes and beaten with a rod. When Paul and Silas had been severely beaten, the authorities threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to secure them with great care. When he received these instructions, he threw them into the innermost cell and secured their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. All at once, there was such a violent earthquake that it shook the prison's foundations. The doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer awoke and saw the open doors of the prison, he thought the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul shouted loudly, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for some lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He led them outside and asked, Honorable Masters, what must I do to be rescued? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all your entire household. They spoke the Lord's word to him and everyone else in his house. Right then, in the middle of the night, the jailer welcomed them and washed their wounds. He and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his home and gave them a meal. He was overjoyed because he and everyone in his household had come to believe in God. The next morning, the legal authorities sent the police to the jailer with the order, release these people. So the jailer reported to Paul, informing him, the authorities sent word that both you are to be released. You can leave now. Go in peace. Paul told the police, even though we are Roman citizens, they beat us publicly without first finding us guilty of a crime, and they threw us into prison. And now they wanted to send us away secretly? No way. They themselves will have to come and escort us out. The police reported this to legal authorities who were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They came and consoled Paul and Silas, escorting them out of prison and begging them to leave the city. 
Paul and Silas left the prison and made their way to Lydia's house where they encouraged the brothers and sisters. Then they left Philippi. I offer this passage to you this morning because when you're reading the beginning of this story, you find yourself in a setting that wouldn't be terribly out of place today. Sure, we may use different language. We might not call it a spirit. But we certainly have people today who are trading religion for power and profiting off of it. Paul and Silas are in Philippi, and they disrupt the power structure there in the city. We don't have any evidence from the passage that it's the religious authorities that are necessarily taking advantage of this woman, but it would appear that no one is doing anything to stop it. That kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Paul and Silas are thrown into jail, and again, I can think back to those flannel graphs of old, um, and I can, I can see the picture of, of Paul and Silas praying and singing, and the other prisoners listening to them. Paul had a conversion experience that was like none other. He was confident that God would take care of him, and indeed, God did. God shows up, and the jailer and everyone in his household believes. The jailer goes from a place where he is practically suicidal to belief. Even the new believers in Philippi, in the church at Lydia's house, were encouraged. You have to believe that their experience with the city officials following this was different. We need to keep company with people who can prop us up in our times of hardship and doubt. I have no idea what Silas was thinking in that prison. I have no idea what the other prisoners were thinking as Paul and Silas were in here in the innermost cell of the prison, shackled in the dark, um, yet praying and singing. Um, and I would offer that we should surround ourselves with people who can prop us up in times of hardship and doubt. Finally, I'd like to offer that we should dwell in these stories where we have memories of times when God was faithful. And let that guide us to times when we can believe again. Again, I believe it's all too easy for us to make ourselves the focus of the story instead of focusing on the things that do not change. We read stories like the prodigal son and we identify with the son instead of focusing on the father who, when you read that story through that focus, we find him waiting and watching off in the distance, and he saw his son from a long way off. The son went through all kinds of hardship, but God, like the father, was consistently faithful in this passage. We need to read stories like the above passage in John this morning and know that the game is already won. It's already over. God has been faithful since before the creation of the world. I love these promises of God. Um, my mom has this habit where she buys uh, people CDs uh, with the promises of God on them. Um, she's bought a bunch of them for people over the years. Um, if they're sick or in the hospital, um, she'll bring them one so they can just listen to it, even if they are at a point where maybe right then they can't do much else. Um, my mom is not a streaming person, so these days when she buys somebody one of these, she also actually has to buy them a CD player. Right? Um, but she, she loves to uh, just dwell in those promises. And as we close today, I want to revisit one of those promises that, that Stina actually touched on last week. It's been on, on my mind all week. Um, she brought it uh, to mind, and then I saw something uh, that, that really made me dwell on it. But last week she preached on John chapter 10, and specifically I want to focus on 28, but just for perspective I'll start in 26. But you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I saw this picture this week on, on social media of the geographic range of the lion in biblical times uh, versus the geographic range of the lion today with development and climate change and, and things like that. It, and it, it struck me that, you know, oftentimes, I think when we think of, you know, Bible areas today, we don't think of lions, even though we have uh, passages in the Old Testament, you know, David protecting his sheep against lions and things like that. We don't think of that. We think as lions in you know, sub-Saharan Africa. But the world changes. 
Um, and it just struck me uh, of this image of a shepherd protecting his flock against apex predators that hunted in packs, right? And, and what a remarkable thing, uh, what a remarkable image that is. There is nothing that those sheep could do to protect themselves. Put your focus on the sheep and they stand no chance. They would literally be slaughtered without that shepherd to protect them. And yet I believe that this is why Jesus chose this metaphor. We have no more chance than those sheep when we lose perspective. We cannot save ourselves. But Jesus, who is one with the Father and has been since the beginning of time, has promised that no one will snatch us out of his hand. As you go through this week and as you go through this life, take comfort in God's promise. Would you stand, please? Art thou weary? Art thou languid? Art thou sore distressed? Come to me, says one, and coming be at rest. Happy marks to lead me to him.
important warning. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so I'm pretty terrified up here. It's a big deal to come up and try to lead your family in something. Um, ah, and this is why I'm probably not great at it, because whenever I talk about things that are important, I cry. <laughs> so I apologize in advance for any tears. Um, for me, often Sunday mornings are stressful. Since, really since I had children, they are stressful. <laughs> You're trying to get everyone out the door. You're tired. Um, you're trying to put the tights on the monkey and it's just not working and my brain is not ready to be with the Lord. I'm not prepared because my brain won't turn off. And when I thought about today, I thought about how many of you have brains and lives that are so busy and so full and so stressful, full of joy, full of difficulties, full of pain, full of celebration. We have graduations coming up. And that's juxtaposed with, I have a funeral to go to next weekend for my cousin. And I have a hard time quieting my mind. I am not good at it. Like, I'm really bad. Like, I can lay awake till 1 in the morning because my brain will not stop running through all of the things that I think I need to take care of. And some of it I do. <laughs> I do need to pay bills. I do need to feed children. That's important. Um, I need to do my job. But a lot of it I can't control. <laughs> A lot of you know I've been trying to find another job this year. This year's been so stressful and so difficult. And I couldn't control. I could control how many places I apply, but I can't control how quickly they respond. I can't control the decision they're going to make. And I struggle with that. When my, and this I've shared a million times. This is nothing new for me. But when my dad died, I really struggled because I was angry and I wanted to control and I could not quiet my mind. So the Lord gave me a song. It's actually one I've never read before. <laughs> I'm sure lots of you have read a whole lot more of the Bible than I have. Um, and it's not long. And it's not anywhere that I am even now. But even this morning, because I'm a nervous wreck having to be up here, for as loud as I am, this is very not my forte. Um, this is something I say over and over because I want to rest in the promises of God, like my mother-in-law. I desire it. It is not an easy rest for me <laughs> because I, I fight against it because I want to fix things. So this morning, as we prepare to thank the Lord for his sacrifice that is so much more than I will ever give, I give this song to you guys so that you might be able to quiet yourself, so that you might be able to rest and revel and luxuriate in the love that God has for us in sending his son, because it is something to be cherished and it is something to hold on to. So with that, I offer Psalm 131. My heart is not proud. Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, Akron, Ryan, 
Put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray as we sit here, hopefully calm in our soul. And if we're not calm, I pray that we feel your love, we feel your hands, brush the hair back from our heads, and, and love us and hold us, because we will not be snatched from your hands. And I pray that we think about Jesus, and we think about the wondrous gift and sacrifice he gave us, and the promise promise that he gave us an eternal life in heaven in a place where there will be no tears no sorrow, no pain, no death and I pray that you help us to focus on you and your son and the sacrifice and you help us to be thankful and that we take the focus off of ourselves and off of our worries and we put it on you and that at least for a few moments, we can be content and safe and secure and trusting in you. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, thank you so much for the blood of your Son. We are very, very thankful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
444. forgiveness and how that we are 
washed as white as snow. And we thank you for the reminder um, that we can not just know, but also feel the rest that you give to us. As we face an exciting season, the end of school, and summertime, and all of the events and traditions that come with that, we also face a season of change and uncertainty. And help us to remember that even when trees fall in our path and knock out the electricity, the things that we take for granted, and change our plans for a day, that you are always with us, that you are constant, that you are the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end. Bless us in our day and our week and our time that we are apart from one another and until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brian for leading us today and everyone else who had um, some leadership in our service. It was so lovely. Um, I'm going to be doing the announcements now. Um, it looks like it's Randy and, and Robbie Spivey's 24th anniversary. Congratulations. Love is in the air. Every time I look around. Um, and then we have some birthdays. We have Cassette and Ireland. Mary Ann and Elsie. So happy birthday to all of you. I won't sing the birthday song then. <laughs> um, let's see here. We have the Brown Bag Wednesday at the Thorntons uh, this week. And then um, our summer quarter classes start Sunday, June 5th. Um, they're still looking for one teacher spot, pre-K to second grade class. Um, and then a thank you to Jonathan Gibson for this weekend on Unplugged. Looks like there was some fun that was had. Um, if you can just keep everyone in, on the prayer list in your prayers, missionaries, and Ukraine. Um, and then mark your calendars for June, National Work Camp, Paddle Day at Couchville, Couchville Lake, Couchville? Um, mm, mm, fun. Um, Mission Week, and then in July, the National Soccer Club game, Cookout and Fireworks at the Conways, um, Church Camp, and then a National Sounds game, and then in August, the Back to School Blessing, and then in November, the Ladies Retreat. Um, I hope you guys have a great week, and you find light and goodness and someone to hug. Uh, donuts? Is there donuts? No, donuts, but no coffee. There is coffee. There's coffee. Donuts and coffee. Wonderful. Have a great week. Cold coffee? No, no, no. Ice coffee. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash org. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.